And then what did he say? Yes. I remember that. Oh my God. Only if I knew what I knew now, things would have been so different. I wouldn't change a thing. I'd do it again and again. You remember those haircuts? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've been there. I've done that. Hi, my name's Tejal Bathia and welcome to Been There, Done That. I'm with... Neelam Sohel and Sitao Nakaja. Um, and the three of us are going to tell you about our naughty 40s. I'm a seasoned 40-year-old um, to the point that I've actually crept into 50. <laughs> I'm going to be hitting 50 this year. And I've just turned 40. So you're a newbie. I am a newbie. And we're going to be able to tell you about all of the things you've got to look forward to. Oh, God. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about me at 40. Um, I was newly divorced. And I have to tell you, 40s were the most has been the most liberating decade of my life. Because for the first time it ever... I felt like I'd gained back control. I'd gained control back of my life, of my career, of absolutely everything except for my body. My body had a completely different idea. You know, everything else was moving forward and my body was moving backwards. And what I mean by that is the metabolic change in the way your body processes thing. And the biggest thing was waking up after my 40th birthday party and realizing that the hangovers that I'd had in my 30s that probably lasted a morning or stretched to like five or six hours took two days <laughs> and that hurt. Can I just ask you, what did you do for your 40th? Can you remember? No, <laughs> no, it's a blur. I, I no. I had a party, like most people do, to, to celebrate a new decade. Um, and I don't even remember drinking that much because, you know, throughout my 30s, my tolerance level, I have to say, I'm quite proud to say, had become quite high. So I don't believe I even drank that much. But I do remember more than the party itself the day after. It was a blur. And on top of that, my daughter was a, still a baby. She was, you know, I think she was, how old was my six, seven? Seven. And I seven. had to get up and be a mum. And my brain just would not engage my body. I just get encouraged her to sleep, I think, most of the It's nap time, my. Come on, let's have nap time. And that's literally 40 plus one day for me. So what were you doing when you turned 40? What were you doing? What was I doing? Um, like I said, I was newly divorced. I had given up a, a job in the corporate world um, to set up a business at home. It was a recruitment business at that time. And um, I'd done that specifically because what had happened was whilst I was still working and I was married... I was coming home and I was, you know, going out to work at eight. And although I was supposed to be coming home at five or six, recruitment did not allow you to do that. And sometimes I'd be home seven or eight in the evening. And I remember coming home one, one day and Maya had started to call my mum, mum. And that really hit home hard. That wasn't what I bought into. I... 
became a mum because I was ready. I was ready to commit to somebody else. Um, and I wanted to be there to nurture her. I was the one who wanted to teach her. I didn't want to miss out on her learning to walk and what have you. So I had thrown in the towel and created a business that allowed me to work from home. Now, because my divorce was finalised around the time of my turning 40, I'm sure you two remember with me, it was a really traumatic time in my life. And um, my husband had made the divorce as difficult as he possibly could. And I was broken. You know, the girl who came from a sales background, who was confident, felt she could conquer the world, was lost. And I was a shell of myself at that time. And that's what I loved about my 40s, because although I started as a, as a shell of my former self, over the 10 years... I have grown into a completely different person, you know, and I have found myself again and I understand my worth now. I found with the turning the 40s, although I've just done it, I feel like in your 30s or even your mid-20s to your 30s, you can make so many mistakes. Like you can fuck up your eyebrows. <laughs> can't you? I've done that. Yeah. You try to do it yourself yeah. with red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can fuck up your eyebrows and then bounce. But when you're in your forties, you'd be like, nah, you know, you know, when you look at something, you think, oh, you shouldn't do that, don't do it. And you you kind of have that retrospect, don't you? Like going back and be like, ah, you know, I could figure this out. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing for me. And you're right, you walk into it more self-assured than ever before. It's almost like this switch comes on and you're yeah. like, oh my God. Why did I know that, not know this before? Um, and it's one of those things people don't really talk about. Like everyone dreads the 40s. Everyone thinks, oh my God, I'm turning 40. That's it. Life is over. And I really don't. I actually do believe life begins at 40. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you've gone through the rollercoaster. So you turned 40... Nine years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say the same. My motto was life begins at 40. So I, my birthday's end of the year, November. Um, so I said to myself, right, I'm going to, I want to look great at 40. My kids are slightly older, 10, and Rahul was only, I think, about six. But I had more time for myself. I used to work from home. So I said, right, I need to look good. And I think for my 40s, I think good two years, all I did was party. Life did begin at 40. I loved it. And, and I still do. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you still party hard. But going back to what you said, Siddhal, I think the liberating thing about turning 40 is all of a sudden you become really comfortable in your own skin don't you? And in your 30s and in your 20s, you're chasing perfection. And you know, you have a body image in mind and what have you. In your 40s, you're kind of like, hey, this is me. Mm. Take it or leave it. And I think that's what changes. It's that mindset that changes that, you know what, I'm a lot more accepting of who I am. I know with you, Siddle, just before you turned 40, you went through a big body transformation and it was a mindset transformation what was it turning 40 that led to that or yeah I think so I think for me it was an intrinsic thing at the time I didn't know it was an intrinsic thing because at the when I started it it was like you know I need to lose weight I kind of looked at myself thought mm, this what I'm doing wasn't working so I thought right let's just see how far I can go into the extreme and I did it but I think at that time I didn't realise actually I need to sort some stuff inside out. And I think that's what turning that 40s meant was actually 
I think in your thirties, most women go through that transition of, you know, getting married, having kids. As as a mother, you do lose your identity because you become so and so's mum, or you become so and so's wife, or so and so's daughter in law, and you kind of have to like pull yourself back a little bit um, to become that kind of to come fit into their world a little bit. And I did lose myself 100% before that. So I think those two years, like you did, for two years to get myself out into like action, I basically used those two years to come back to what I wanted and reinvented myself, yeah. you know, figured things out a little bit more of actually, what do I want? How do I see my future? And that's why I, I did that. And it, at the time, it didn't mean that at the time, but now looking back, 100%. And it, it's probably one of the best moments of life and I don't regret it and now I totally know the direction I'm going in what I want and I think I've learned from mistakes in the 30s well I used to be like a person who always said yes to people now I'm starting to say no because I'm starting to learn actually it's okay to be selfish yeah it's it's not just about being selfish I think the way we are as Asian women is we're grown up to, we're taught to kind of be subservient to a certain extent. You know, our parents have their expectations, our husbands, our children. And I think it's realising that you can say no, but then it's learning to disengage the emotion, the guilt that comes with it. And I think that was something that held me back a lot in my 30s. I felt that, for example, I stayed in my marriage a lot longer than I should have because of other people's expectation. I'd had a love marriage, so my my mum was like, you made your bed, lie in it. You know, Sidla, your mother-in-law and I are really close. She's my boy. And she had been a single mum, not out of choice because, you know, my four had passed away. Um, but between my mum and her, they were so worried about me being a single mother that I ended up staying a lot longer sh- than I should have and I think that caused a lot more damage not just to me but to my daughter as soon as I learned to realize that hey this is my life I am the captain of my own ship and it's up to me to determine what direction I go in and I I kind of had to think not just about me but to think about my daughter because relationships are self-perpetuating I did not want Maya to think that that was okay so one of the things I had to teach myself was to say no I'm sorry I'm not doing that Mm. and walk away from it without the guilt and it's something that I'm really trying to make Maya understand which to my detriment is coming up like me in the bum quite often because she says no to me all the time now (laughs) and doesn't feel bad about it it's trying to draw the fine line isn't it because you want to help people um and, and it's more difficult when it's family isn't it for you to say no when it's family I guess that that makes it more difficult but I think when you're in your 40s you're you're established like for myself you know I've got a marriage home the kids are sort of growing up you know what you want to do career-wise and I find that I was more I could be more riskier you know I I would would go out and do something that I wouldn't have probably thought I would have done when I was younger like you said the thought is you've you've in your 30s 20s 30s it's all about motherhood Mm. and you, you you don't lose yourself but it's all about the kids isn't it I mean you know going out 
and you know going out for dinner at 6 30 be home by eight o'clock because the kids have got to go to bed you know whereas you could do that later on as, as they get older so it's like taking risks and doing things that you probably wouldn't have done before can i just say though about going out in your 40s i mean you two witness <laughs> the first five years of my 40s <laughs> I partied hard, but I became Cinderella because come midnight, the high heels had to come off. There was no way I was gonna totter around in them. And my cab needed to be there because I needed to be in my bed. So I was happy to party hard till midnight. That was my cutoff. And it became a standing joke, didn't it? Uh-oh, Ted's shoes have come off. Somebody ordered the Uber. But I don't know how you found it, but. It was literally, I could not wait to get back home and get into my bed. So we used to have conversations, Ted and I, before we went out. And she'd say to me, Nils, I'm not going to stay out too late. Okay, what's late? Maybe we'll be home by 12 or 12, 12.30. I don't want to stay out too late. That was our first conversation. It wasn't like we what you're wearing. <laughs> it was, what time are we coming home, Nils? <laughs> oh. But I think what was nice about you and when you went out, you weren't out to find someone. You weren't out to, you were, you were just out to have fun. And that's one thing I think people lose sight of. Yeah. I think what, again, was liberating about 40s is I started to realise my worth. And I started to realise that I don't need a relationship to validate me. I don't need a man to financially support me. I have friends that give me the emotional support that I need. So for me, if I were to have met someone or even if I were to meet someone, they need to add value to my life. And because I wasn't looking for somebody to fulfill that, you know, I found that I was attracting a lot of men. And I think men get scared off by women that are needy. I'm the opposite. <laughs> like really, to the point that, I don't even make an effort if I'm in a relationship. It's It has to work around me. So I've gone completely the other way. Um, and that's not, I'm not saying that's a good thing because I think I've let a, missed a lot of opportunities in my selfishness about where I am. I think the, the negative side of this contentment is the fear of, letting somebody in and losing it all again having found myself that fear of losing me all over again and I don't know if I'll ever overcome that I don't know if I'll ever be able to commit to somebody the way I did in my first marriage because I'm happy I'm happy and I don't know how to introduce somebody into my life who will magnify where I am now see I don't think that's also just because if you're single I think that's also when you're in a marriage Neil might agree but I think when you do start noticing changes in your partner it can irk your relationship because I think suddenly you're discovering something new about yourself and wanting to go explore it but it might not be what the other person wants they're quite content in where they are so it's trying to find that happy balance of how can you keep your relationship going as well as you going through this new new path um, and that's really hard because I know I struggle with virage sometimes in the sense of, you know, suddenly I've become so much more independent or, you know, and men do fear women's independence massively. Like they, you know, all of a sudden I can go change a tyre by myself or my car and it's like, oh, you can do that? I'm like, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm a superwoman. Or, I can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or you know stuff like that. So I think I think that I think it's in any kind of like situation. point situation in life that I think everyone's going to have to figure out and juggle. And I think what I found was like bring that person along with you. You know, and I think where you sort of said, you know, you're going to, you might struggle. I don't think you will. You just said it. I think you find need to find someone who's going to complement your life yeah. um, rather than taking. So if anyone knows anyone out there who's going <laughs> to add value to my life, know where to find me. Mimi's Coffee and Dessert Lounge. Well, you've got a secret admirer already. Oh, right. So, um, yes. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. So for the last two Valentines, I've been receiving the most stunning roses and champagne and chocolate from the same person. Because we know this because we stalked the florist <laughs> who refused to give us the name of the person. And it's a really kind, generous thing. And yes, I enjoyed it. But for the record, next time I'd like shoes. Um, <laughs> you need to have shoe size. Oh, size three. Actually, trainers, because I can't do heels anymore. <laughs> um, no, but on a serious note, I've, I've no idea who it is. Absolutely no. I actually thought it was one of my friends, Bab, doing it for a laugh. But he insists it's not him. So, yeah, whoever you are, hello. <laughs> Can you reach out to me, Neelam Sohel? As I need to vet you. <laughs> you need to go through a vetting process, 100%. Yes. <laughs> so Neelam, what's what's the key to a happy marriage? Because ha how many years have you been married? So it's coming up in June to twenty-two. Wow! Yes, and as you know, I met my husband at a young age, <laughs> um, teenagers. So I think the key is communication. We still. We do a lot of things as a family, but we still do things independently. So I think I think communication, being there as a family, and I'd just say communication to be honest. Yeah. Um he pals You're very not, different, the two of you. We like chalk and cheese, yeah, we are. We are. I'm like a social butterfly and I have different group of friends. Um, hence, when I turned 40, I had lots of different parties and <laughs> places to go with different people. Pal's very homely, I'd say. Um, oh, well, he's a phenomenal cook. I mean, how lucky is that to have a husband who'll cook for you and you'll go home and dinner's ready? I'd just like to say for the record, he doesn't cook every day. He cooks hell of a lot though. Yeah, he does. But he can cook. He, he, yeah, he's a brilliant cook. So, um, <coughs> well, he does leave. He does leave the kitchen looking like a tornado. No, not anymore. The kids, oh, the, kids, the kids help. That's a, yeah. That's a part of successful marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Teaching them the household chores. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got that far yet. You haven't got that far. No. <laughs> and would no. you sit up? I mean, Biraj is my younger brother, so. You can't say a bad word about him, as no. you know, because uh, there'll be trouble. No, but on a, you know, on a real kind of vein, Biraj is very, he's a go-getter. And I have to say, Biraj is a fantastic dad. But I do see where you would have challenges because he does lose his temper quite quickly. Yeah. Especially with yeah. the kids. He does. And I think that is... I don't know if that's just, I think it's something where, you know, something we've talked about as well is like some guys just don't talk. 
they don't articulate do you know what i've had a really rubbish day today or because he's a man's man yeah and i think that's really hard like i you'll know like all three of us we're quite we outwardly show what we're thinking feeling and we'll just say it like it is and go straight down the middle whereas with some guys they don't do that they don't and that's really hard so when people say like you know men are from mars women are from venus 100 yeah. percent. and i think i and I think there is this whole thing around men not talking. And I always say to Barajun, just 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 say it. Just say, just just put it out there. Just say, do you know what? I've had a really bad day today. And just leave it there. No one needs an explanation. No one needs to know why. Just say it. And then we'd be like, okay, get it. We've got to tread on eggshells. Yeah. Because I just think it's just, I think it's really important in a marriage. Like you said, it's that communication. Like we're not all mind readers. You know, we can't see telepathically, all right, Biraj is on his way on the train and he's just had a rubbish journey at home. So, you know, therefore he's going to be grumpy or he's going to be hangry or whatever. So I think it's just, just say it like it is and then move on. And I think even with arguments, like, yeah, you're going to have those little moments. Sometimes you don't have to keep saying sorry. Just accept that that person's had a moment and just move, especially in current times when you're in this like bubble, Bubble. (laughs) you know, I just think it's just let them have that moan or let them have that, and then just leave it there um you know and i think for me with barrage it's been like be friends first you know accept the person that they are and don't expect them to be like you because i've learned that like going through my 30s is you know you kind of set this bar for yourself and you have to expect everyone else to hit that bar well no they're not gonna because that's success because you want that doesn't mean he like your husband or your kids or whatever needs to hit that bar let them find their own bar and just accept for who they are and that's the one thing i've kind of come away from and that's what i think works really well is just don't be attached to the outcome just be just be yeah no i agree i mean leading on from that we're all mothers so we've touched briefly on our kids i mean i own a 17 year old daughter neelam has a a son and a daughter, and Siddle, you have two boys. And our parenting styles are very different. And that's because, like, for example, Maya's a girly girl, so we do the baking, the makeup, the shopping, the coffee trips, what have you. Neelam, your kids are two... They're quite opposites, aren't they? You've got one who is a real academic and one who is a comedian. (laughs) I think that's the best way to describe Rahul. He's got a heart of gold, but he's hilarious. And then again with you, Siddle, you've got two boys. And so you are quite a sporty mum. You're very engaging with them and you get involved in all their activities. But raising boys is very different to raising a girl. How do you find that? I think I'm a I'm I think I'm naturally a boy's mum anyway. I think if I had a daughter, <laughs> and I always say this, hand on heart, I'd really struggle because I grew up in a very male dominated you know the men ruled the roost and it was really like like there um so i was exposed with because i had an older brother so it meant that i was exposed to like you know mechanics and cars and fixing and diy and you know my parents ran a shop so it was like you know lifting heavy things and so for me like raising the boys it's kind of i want them to be strong good men you know like I look at people around me and I think I want them to pick the best of all of those things. I want them to have all the opportunities, but just be good, nice people. I want them to know that it's okay to want to be in the kitchen, but also to go and play football. Yeah. 
you know, I remember there was one point where I think Nayan was like two or three. And I remember nursery was saying, oh, he loves the home corner. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I came home. I said to Grish, oh, let's go to Ikea. So, and he was like, oh, why? Because I said, oh, I want to buy Nayan a kitchen. And he was oh, like, baby, he was outraged. <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. And he was like, why? why? Why not buy him like a tool bench or something? And I thought, that's so stereotypical. And I kind of fought that. And we ended up going to Ikea and buying this kitchen. And can I tell you, it was the most played toy I remember in our house. I like, can't tell you how many pizzas that boy cooked me. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what? And I was proud of that. And I think it's really important that they do get in touch with not the stereotypical boy things. Um, so I think that's where Viraj and I balance things off because Viraj does all the sports, the rough and tumble and stuff like that. And I'll come in and, you know, do all the creative stuff, the art and the drawing and the baking and try and create that balance because I think what men were, where it was, oh, you know, like I remember my brother, he'd just sit on the sofa and do nothing where I was like, I have to sit at the table. The yeah, like literally, like we'd have to do everything. Like, and I've heard extremes, like extremes where, you know, the, the daughters were expected to clean the son's shoes before he went to work. Oh my God. Yeah, like, you know, like real extremes. And like, even to the point of that, you know, that old school way of mentality of when they're sitting to have dinner, you have to pick up their plate after they finish. Did you have to do that? At some point, yeah. Did you? Yeah. Oh, no, there was no way I was having that. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> I think with power, because he, him and his brother, and they, he didn't have a sister, um, at the age of nine, he, his mum fell ill, so he actually told him how to cook dal. So that's where his cooking experience started, just at nine, and he just really enjoyed that. So him and his brother are very self-sufficient. They're not the... Um, you know, stereotype guy that you say. But coming back to you telling us about Nain wanting the kitchen, I remember Rahul was in primary and he came home and said, Mum, I want to be in the choir. <laughs> well, I, after running off the floor, like laughing, falling off the floor, I was like, really, you want to be in the choir? Um, and yeah, so he was in the choir for a good uh, six months. I mean, but yeah, it was nice. But my initial reaction was in in the choir. <laughs> but Shailen's doing that now, right? Yeah, Shailen's like we didn't know. Like he just he like suddenly came home with his letter saying he's going to be performing in like Savile Gardens or somewhere for a Christmas concert. And I was like, <laughs> what Christmas concert? Oh, I'm in the choir. And he just signed himself up. But that's the great thing that, you know, and it's funny because we went to go see a school for Nayan for secondary and um, the boy who was taking us around the school, he, the reason why I went to school was because he wanted to do dance. And I was like, oh. Billy Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I was like, oh my God, wow. Like, good on you. And he goes, yeah. He goes, he taught, he said he got a lot of stick in his old school because he was really into dance. And, he, you know, he wanted to go somewhere where he could, continue because he just loved it so much and I was like hats off to you that's that's phenomenal to do something that goes against the grain and even he said that you know he goes it's really hard for boys because there is this image of you know it's got to be like masculine and you've got to lift weights and you know you shouldn't be doing certain things and I just think I think those areas are changing I think thank god that you know our kids are so lucky that they can do so much but it is a different world the only thing I fear I guess versus having a girl is I worry in this day and age as the kids get older when they start wanting to go out what are they going to face you know yeah. when you think about drinks drugs fights that kind of stuff but whereas for you mm. it's the opposite right it is to a certain extent but the fears are still there because 
there's date rape drugs, there's still violence between women, there's domestic violence, you know, and I could end up in a relationship. And bearing in mind my marriage was abusive, it wasn't ever physically abusive, but it was mentally abusive. And Maya witnessed that, and I always felt that she got it. She understood why I walked away, because as much as protecting myself, I left because he wasn't a good father to Maya and that was not the role model that I wanted for her. I always felt like she got it. About six months ago, Maya did something completely out of character and it shook us both. She was she was reckless. It was, she was reckless with money. Now her dad had been a gambler and one of the rules we have in my house is no lies. Apps. You can tell me anything. If you're wrong, I will tell you. If you're right, I will support you. But absolutely no lies. Anyway, she kept, she'd been reckless with money and she'd hidden it from me and it came out. And after three days of neither of us being able to talk to each other because we had broken our trust. And she kept saying to me, Mum, I've broken us. And she had, but we had to sit down and figure out why. And it was abandonment issues, abandonment issues by being left from her dad. She recalled the, the mental abuse, the name calling, the constantly putting me down. And you think that these things don't have an effect on their, your children, but even at five years old, she had these memories. And we now, you know, 12 years on, have to sit and work through those. And, you know, she's lucky in that I'm quite open to things like counselling and coaching. And I've got her the help that she needs. And she seems like she's in a better place. But this will resurface. So going back to those threats... I'm equally frightened. Maya's going to be going to uni next year. She's a home girl. This, this is going to be a really hard transition for both of us. And, you know, I've protected her. I, I pick her up from school, even though she's 17. Is, how is she going to cope in the big, wide world? But as a parent, I have a duty to set her free. She's going to have to learn and figure it out, just like we did. So Eilina, she's very homely. And when she started university in, in, in London, that was my concern, you know, because she used to go to a school where we car shared. So we'd drop her, pick her. When she went out with friends, we'd always drop her, pick her. And it'd only be cinema or somewhere to eat. Or she'd go to her friend's house. So she didn't really go out out. And I had the same fear, how's she going to cope? But actually, they become so independent, it gives them so much confidence. You know, she'd ring me and say, Mum, how do I start the washing machine? You know? <laughs> I told you, I told you to learn at home. No, I didn't say that. Um, but yeah, so they become, and you know, it, it's really good for them. I guess for you, I mean, I've got Rahul and Power at home. For you, you know, you're going to be on your own. Yeah. You did say you might move in with me. <laughs> well, with your husband's cooking, definitely. <laughs> or she's going to get a dog. Yeah. I'm getting a dog. Are you? I am. Maya is absolutely fighting it, but I'm getting a puppy. The minute she goes, either I've given her a deal. Either I get a dog or I get a boyfriend. Take your pick. 
I think she'd rather have a four-legged friend. So <laughs> that's going to be my bargaining tool. <laughs> Maybe she can train the puppy before she goes to university. She'll have six weeks off. <laughs> she's scared of dogs. She's not. She's not. Because when she comes, when she comes, Kion comes near her, she has this ooh moment, and then she's like, fine. And then she kind of melts of it, and then she's okay. But she still comes in the house, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she. Ooh. The thing is, Kion, Sitov's dog, he's the cutest. He will not leave her alone until she's given him a cuddle. It's like he has this sixth sense with her, doesn't he? Yeah. But he just wants attention. He's just, <laughs> he's just a tart. He'll just roll over on the floor, oh. and that's it. It's there. You've got to tickle his belly. She won't stroke Zeus, though. I mean, he's a German shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> I won't he's stroke Zeus. He's like a wolf. <laughs> Bless him. So, um, coming back to our kids, how does Eileen, how did your relationship with Eileen and your relationship with Rahul differ? Okay, so the saying daddy's girl and mummy's boy. 100%. Um, Pal's very good hands-on with the kids. And I think I was, I, I, he would do the early shift. So he'd be home to pick them up and I would drop them to school. So he had more time after school for the evening with them. Um, I think with Eilina, very academic and she is the golden child, as Rahul <laughs> says. So, it, I mean, so... I guess with Rahul, I've, I have a, I, this is my sister and I, and we weren't, we, we didn't grow up with any brothers. So I really struggled when I had Rahul. Because, you know, we'd do spellings and we'd be doing roly polies, you know, kind of jumping off the sofa. And I'm thinking, what, why can't you just sit there? You know? And Eileen was a really good baby as well. So she never cried. She just, we just left her. Whereas Rahul, when he was quiet, we'd be like, what's he doing? What's he touching? Why's he quiet? So they're both different, different personalities. I guess, I, I guess when Rahul, I, he, he gets probably more in trouble, right? Mm. But then, you know, he'll just come up to me and hug me. He won't, he won't, he won't be moody or anything. In fact, actually, Eileen is not moody either. They're very good. We always talk that, you know, they'll say to me, mum, you've just shouted at us. And now five minutes later, you're coming up to us, hugging us and talking normal. I said, yeah, you just got to get over it, right? So... I think it's, it's definitely still daddy's girl and mummy's boy, right? So if they ever want to talk about anything, they'll always come, both of them will always come to me first. So Rahul wants something. He'll always come to me. And then I'll say, no, go and ask dad. Because I don't know. Because he wants all these boys. He wants a bow and an arrow at the moment. And, and he's like, mum, can I get one? It's 80 pounds. It's like, yeah, but show it to dad. Because I don't know whether it's good or not. So, yeah, I mean, different. it is a different relationship. Like with Eileen, we can do girly things, you know, like you do with my we can get our nails we can do spa face we do beauty things together and with Rahul I'm just cooking for him forever <laughs> just <laughs> wants to eat <laughs> yeah I can echo that your two boys are very different as well oh mine they? are chalk and cheese one so Nayan's very like he's the academic he's very sensible like Eilina he will sit there he'll knock out his spellings no problem yeah. just get on with it very independent in his own way Shailen is this like tornado. He is like the joker of the pack. Like he'll just come out with these funny sayings. He just won't sit still. Like 
he's more emotional. Things will come out. So he's a typical Leo. He's a, he, very fiery. When he gets angry, it's quite actually quite cute because he just loses it. Like the other the couple of days ago, I don't know what happened. He got really annoyed with something. I kept saying to him, like, go and, go and put your pajamas on. Come on, let's go and get ready. If you are rude to me again, I am leaving this house. And I was like, Shailen, it's like Corona out there. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go meet people. <laughs> I'm like, what people? I don't know, but I'm just going to knock on someone's door. I was like, all right, then off you go. And he just looked at me and he kind of thought about it. You could see the clogs are wearing. And he's just like, right, she doesn't care. Okay, I think I might just do what she says now. <laughs> and then he kind of just went away eventually and got changed and then it was all fine. But you have those outbursts of like, um, so they're completely different. So how you have to manage them is completely, with Nayan, he's very structured. He likes his routine. You have to like, and I think that's also being a first child. Like I don't know about you with Eileen, like literally, you know, he needs to know that this time is dinner time. What are we having? You know, I'll wake up at this time. Um, whereas Shailen's a bit more kind of like, oh, chill, this is fun. I'll have breakfast at like 11 o'clock. It doesn't matter. Um, so they're very, very different in that respect. Um, Shailen just naturally gets things like sport, like physically, like we just measured them. They're like 20, there's a 20 centimeter difference. There's five year gap. Wow. wow. So he's a big boy, physicality wise. Um, so it's quite scary how like we have to manage them both so differently. Um, like I could tell, like in lockdown, he's Shailen's struggling a lot more with it, whereas Nayan's thriving in it. Like he, he loves that, that being behind a screen and technology and I'm on a laptop and I'm doing school learning, whereas Shailen's like, no, I need people. Yeah. He is um, a people's person. He's a very much a people's person. He gets really excited when he sees people and going out and whatever. So he's the one that's going to be raving. And Nayan's going to be the one like happy sitting at home playing like on PlayStation with his mates. So you, <laughs> you can see the extremes already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Viraj and I balance things where, you know, Viraj is the go-to person for fun and whatever. I'm the food, the provider <laughs> of all comfort. You know, whether it's like when they're ill or something's not right or something doesn't work. That's mummy. Yeah. Wait till they're older though, because um, my relationship with Maya, she's, you know, I keep banging on about her being 17, but she's actually like a 47 year old. Yeah, she's an old soul. <laughs> she really is. Yeah. And she is the grown up in our relationship. So I'll say to her, Maya, you're 16, let's go and get matching tattoos. Come on. She'll be like, no, mum. I don't want that rubbish on my skin. Or I'll say to her, oh, we'll get home from work. And, you know, Mimi's clothes is quite late. So it will be midnight when we get in. And I'll literally go straight up to bed. She'll lock the front door. She'll check the back door's locked. She'll come upstairs. She'll make sure there's a glass of water by my bed so that I don't have to go back down. She'll turn all the lights off. She'll set the alarm. She She's the mum. You know, like our roles have completely reversed over the last couple of years. And I kind of like think, so when she goes to uni, yeah, she's going to be fine with stuff like that. She's just not going to be able to handle leaving her dormitory and going out. Because when it comes to what's going on in the wide, wider world, she's oblivious to it. I think she'd be all right. Because when we went to New York, I think one of the pivotal moments with her was when, when Eileen, Maya and I went up that sent You two were just sitting on a bench, just chilling, while I sweated my ass up there and getting those oh, two up there. Oh, when you went up that rock. Yeah, no. that wasn't happening. No. And I was like, come on, guys. This is like an Instagrammable like, moment where you get the city skyline. Let's just go up this massive rock. I mean, most people should have who've been to New York would have done it. And she's actually quite brave. 
she? Yeah, I, I'd say she's quite brave. Like, she didn't fear going up there. I think she just needed that nudge to say, come on, let's do this. Oh. And then she was up. I remember the Rockefeller Centre. So another thing you've got to look forward to in your latter 40s is um, like vertigo. Because I remember the five of us going um, to the top of the Rockefeller and every time I went near the edge, I swear I thought I was going to be sick. So there was me sort of glued to the side of the wall and you and Sithal and Eileen are in running around taking your pictures. And when we went up to the, what is it when they take you right to the very top where you've got to get the escalators? Oh, that was like the, the, the literally the, the very the top, top floor. floor. Yeah. And there you girls are outside on the balcony. I'm in the gift centre holding onto a pole. <laughs> You're clinging on for dear life because the whole building is rocking. <laughs> and the guy from the gift shop actually came over to me and said, Ma'am, are you okay? And I'm like, No, I'm fucking not! Can you not see I'm having a panic attack? The whole bloody building is rocking. And he had to escort me down the escalator like a granny. Didn't Maya wait with you at some point? In no, the gift shop? no, she, oh, okay. she, she was off with me. Looking at something. I know. I was. I feared for, for my life that day. But one thing I'll give you credit for, though, is as a mum, you've been phenomenal. Like, you've, you have pushed her. Like, I, I have never seen a moment when you said, no, mind, we're not doing that. Like, even in New York, I remember, or I think I made you do it, but we did it. Because <laughs> we walked, I don't know how many blocks, because she's such a foodie. She is. Um, we walked to, what's it? What's that place called again? That famous coffee shop. Um, Serendipity. No, um, Serendipity. You were swearing through it. <laughs> well, you know what? I absolutely hate any form of physical exercise. For me, exercise is walking from my front door to my car. <laughs> I'm done. I'm good. New York, you cows made me do <laughs> at least 30,000 steps a day. And you'd all come home and you'd all be bouncing. Up, like, we'd be in our hotel rooms and you girls would be on a high bouncing off the walls. I'd be like, where's the ibuprofen? Where's the brandy? Literally, I got through five days on ibuprofen and alcohol. But you kept up yeah. and you were determined. Except for when I fell twice. Oh, yeah. Three times. <laughs> <laughs> and that was not even with alcohol. No. But that was a really good holiday because it was. was yeah, and and I think that's where the difference is, Tej, because you um you know like you've always gone from your house to your car. <laughs> so when you say to me, call me and say you're going for a walk, I was asking how long did you walk for? <laughs> where were you walking to? Listen, I have improved because now I walk from my house to Mimi's, which is all of twenty five minutes. There and back? There? Yeah, no, there and back. It's 25 minutes there and back. So I will try and do that at least twice a week. <laughs> but you've also got your, like, cross-trainer thing. Uh, my clothes kicking. rack. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've got my clothes rack. But the bizarre thing about buying these pieces of exercise equipment, because I've had cross-trainer, I've had about five treadmills, uh, exercise bike, is the intention is always there. And I'm like, this is it, I'm going to do it. And literally within two weeks, I'm hanging coats off of it. And then I'll sell them. And then I'll be like, no, 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 I'm going to do it. And then buy another one to become a coat rack. Do you know what my most funniest moment was? I remember when you, before you did have Mimi's, the coffee shop, and you had Mimi's, the cake shop. I remember walking into your cake shop and you'd be like there with the offcuts of cake and the uh, chocolate, like... <laughs> 
chocolate icing scooping it out and I'm like really and then you'd be like oh I need to lose weight I'm like maybe just stop eating the chocolate fondue <laughs> no but what she'll do she'll, I've been really good today Neil's I've had uh, fish and I've had salad well done and then she'll ring me at nine I'm having a cup of tea and half a packet of biscuits <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let's talk about biscuits it's impossible to drink tea without a biscuit it is. Come, come on, I you disagree. all do it. No, no I, I don't. You yeah. can. Every now and then I might fancy a biscuit, but... Listen, I'm on the wrong side of 40. I can eat what I want when I want. That's going to be my argument till I die now. Yeah, in fairness. Like, I think, I think it comes a point where you just got to live life. So I think, yeah, you like there's a point where you just think, you know, I've done this whole walking fitness thing. Like, I just need to live my life. And I've learned that now. Now I'm like done it worn the t-shirt i just want to be happy healthy but i'm gonna live 80 20 like but, be good but then have your moments but do you're sorry. so disciplined though i was gonna say did you not put i read i'm sure biraj and i had half a biscuit and i was like really sithal did you share a biscuit recently well with biraj <laughs> he can sniff a whole packet of biscuit and nothing happens i look at a crumb and i'm like put my weight on me too literally like oh wait till you two hit 50 Right. Then you've got the menopause to look forward. <laughs> Maybe we'll do. We won't do a fifties podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, we will. Um, I mean, forties. Just sort of bringing it all back. Forties is the most liberating decade mm. of my life so far, and I'm sure you'll agree. Yep. Um, Nina, but Sithal, this is just the beginning you've got so much to look forward to you know you 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 will hit a crisis at 49 a few days before you hit 50 where you're like shit midlife is here and Neelam this is coming to you in the next couple of months love but you will have that moment where you'll look back and you'll be like I've got more years behind me than I have ahead of me and you'll really sort of reevaluate where you are and to a certain extent coronavirus has kind of brought that to everyone because we've all got that reset and it's a really good opportunity to sort of sit back and reflect on where you are in life and where you want to go and I'm I feel like I'm one of those really lucky few in that I'm really good I'm good with where I'm at where I've been and where I'm going what would you say would be your advice to your younger self then? What was the one thing you'd say to yourself if you could do a bit of a back to the future? Know your worth. That would be my message to, to my younger self and to everyone else I know. I think you have to value who you are. And I think what happens as women, we become obsessed with relationships, being the perfect mums, pigeonholing ourselves into the perfect daughter-in-laws, the career women that... It really, all those things don't matter if you don't have self-love, self-belief, self-worth. And I think that is one of the biggest lessons I learned. I actually am in a place where I like myself. I, you, you know, I've got wobbly bits and I've got cellulite <laughs> and um, a little bit of an alcohol addiction and uh I'm not the perfect mum, I make mistakes, I've got a business where I'm constantly learning. But what really has changed for me is I'm content. I value 
everything that's happened. And through these podcasts, you will learn a lot about my life. You know, I've been through, um, you name it, marriage, divorce, motherhood. I've, I've been homeless. I've set up my own business. I mean, you name it. I feel like I've got a lot of life experience to impart. But everything has been a learning curve. And I value every single experience. Neil, what would be yours? I would say <coughs> let things go. That would be from my experience. You know, you, as you said, Ted, you know, you do have to have that self-love. But what I found was that if someone said something, you, I wouldn't say anything back, but I would feel it. You know, I think, I do, yeah, and I think maybe you take things personally. Or actually... When you're in your 20s and 30s, you retaliate, don't you? And you're kind of like just sort of bark back, you know? Mm. And and I think what's different now is that, you know, the younger uh, generation, it's all about writing it on messages. So sometimes you may get a WhatsApp message or any kind of email and you read it how you want to read it. That yeah. person might not say it like that. So, mm. you know, it's how you perceive it. So I, my, one thing I would say is just let things go, you know, that that that's what I've learned, and I think that's that's uh, relevant for a marriage, in a, you know, for a, a business, you know, work-wise. I think in anything really, just let things go. And I think that I've learned that in the lockdown as well, <laughs> <laughs> with the four of us being home for like weeks. You know, okay, if the socks there, just leave it. <laughs> yeah, what about you, Sidham? I think mine similar to yours is just don't have any expectation. Just go, learn to be you, be yourself and just be in the moment. And I think I've learned to just be present. Like I, you know, I used to, I work a thousand miles per hour. Like I'm constantly go, 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 go. And now I've actually, especially now, actually, I've learned actually just relax a bit and just be content and don't expect everything to be just so. Um, and I think just go for it. Just, just, just do it don't have any regrets you make a mistake you make a mistake don't worry about it I think that's how you can progress in life at least you can look back and think oh, no, I didn't have I didn't have to do that I, I didn't do that I didn't get to do that you no regrets. no regrets like literally just don't fear anything just go there do what you want to do and let it happen yeah and if it doesn't work it didn't work Exactly. At least you tried. Yeah, exactly. And who knows what comes out of that mistake or what comes out of a situation that may not have been what you wanted it to be, but it, it, it became it could become something. And that's what you've done, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Absolutely. You just make the best of what you've been dealt with. And I, I always say to people, God only gives you what he knows you can deal with. Mm. At the time, you might feel like you're sinking, but there's always a bigger picture. And I think the other thing is, I in my 40s, my circle of friends became smaller. And that was deliberate because, because of my history in recruitment and the fact that I had um, a cake business. I was so well known. Everyone classed me as their friend. So, I, you know, my friends list was in the hundreds. What I did in my 40s is I created my inner circle and my inner circle consists of five people. And I think probably out of those five people, there's only two that I speak to all the time. But I have my inner circle and they're my sanctum. They're the people that lift me up when I need it. 
the people, you know, Siddle, you're my accountability partner when I don't know where I'm going or whatever. I literally bombard you and you ground me and you kind of make me reevaluate. Neil, and with you, we our friendship has just developed so much. It's like it's as natural as breathing isn't it and we speak to each other at least what three or four times a day which we've always done throughout our 30-year friendship um but it's different because we both encourage each other to let things be don't we um and to forgive and to give kindness and i think that is a really important part of growing up you you don't need to surround yourself with white noise just listen to your inner voice. Yeah, and I think also, like, you don't have to have this, like, thousands and thousands of friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. They're... Because <clears throat> I remember when Facebook first launched, everyone was like, let's friend this person that I haven't spoken to in 20 years. It, it's not about that. Because what you'll find is, like, actually, when, when the crunch time comes, they'll there literally will be one or two people standing beside you. And the rest is just, like you said, it's just noise. Mm -hmm. And I find it really hard. Like I was just saying the other day, actually, on social, I find social media really overwhelming, especially now. Because Oh my God, the friend request during lockdown is ridiculous. Exactly. And, you know, it's gotten to a point now where with social media, I'm like, how do these young people cope? Because I'm just like, I just, it comes to a point where I'm just like, I actually don't want to speak to anybody now because it's just so full on. And I actually have to spend days where I'm like, I'm not, looking at my phone yeah you know I have to literally switch off from that world because I just can't I can't function so I've I've decided some days are the day where I'm just like minimal contact with my phone literally I won't look at I won't post anything I won't do anything if I if you do see me posting it's because it's automatic I don't I schedule them in um but yeah I'm at that point where I'm a bit like this is just a bit too much and I actually what I did recently was I actually like unposted a lot of stuff on my Facebook. I deleted just loads of history because I was just like, people don't need to know that. Yeah, yeah, good for you. And I've just been a bit savvier about it because I'm just like, before it was like, you know, it was like a it was like a diary of your life. Well, actually, you don't need to diarise everything about your life. Some people do enjoy doing that and that's fair play to them. But I don't feel like I need to. Mm. Um, and I've realised that in lockdown, 100%. I think um, that's a really great place to leave it today um we don't want to bore you all with our traumas of being 40 but there is a lot to say there's a lot more on this you know we're we're going to cover things like childbirth we're going to talk about motherhood we're going to talk about menopause Woohoo! can't (laughs) wait to share my experience of that with you all um we're going to talk about creating a business we're going to talk about careers we're going to talk about raising teenagers single i mean we have a topic list that is endless and we will impart our experiences um and our wisdom with you. We hope that you'll tune in again and uh, we will hopefully see you on the other side of lockdown.